you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's. DJ Bucky back with you. And, uh, Buck, we've, we had a couple games last night. We had the two Monday nighters, and usually we spend some time talking about those games. But you had no Cam Newton, which took away the intrigue for me in that, in mm-hmm. that Chiefs-Patriots game. And then you had Aaron Rodgers just do whatever he wanted against the Falcons defense that, frankly, lets everybody do whatever they want uh, against him this year. So I, I think we go in another direction today. Yeah, I think we should go in another direction. That Patriots game, though, was in- interesting only in terms of Bill Belichick and the way that he slowed down the Kansas City Chiefs. I think there's a lot to learn from the way that he attacked them. Obviously, you've seen it firsthand with the charges and how they go about it. The Patriots provide a different blueprint because this is a team that doesn't have pass rushers, per se. So for them to slow down the Chiefs in the manner in which they did was interesting. And the final point about the Patriots Anyone who thought it was going to be a real competition between Cam Newton, Brian Hoyer, and Jerry Stidham, like, after watching that, that was close. Yeah, that was all poppycock. That was all propaganda. Like, it's not even close. If anything, Cam Newton's agent should have just left a message for Bill Belichick in the middle of the game and just say, like, hey, whenever you want to send over that contract extension, we'll we'll, we'll sign it. Like, don't don't worry about it. You can just slide that over the table and we'll, we'll take care of this because what you're putting out tonight certainly is a winning product at quarterback. No, the other thing, I will add this on this game I thought was interesting. I've said, based off of the way the Chargers have slowed down the Chiefs, 
that the only way to slow these guys down is to play coverage, rush four, and get home with four. Well, the Chiefs in the last in two of the last three meetings against the Chargers, the answer that they've had has been Pat Mahomes running. Patrick Mahomes, I, I guess you want yes. to call Patrick, so yes. I don't want to screw that up. But has been him running. So I thought the Patriots, there was a lot of times where they rushed three and assigned someone to Mahomes. So it was like, okay, we're going to flood space down the field, make you throw through a lot of bodies. We're going to rush three. Hopefully you can get home, but if you don't, no big deal. But in, instead of them running people off and letting Mahomes take off and run, they had somebody that was accounting for Mahomes there as well. So I thought it was an interesting mix on that on that formula. Yeah, really interesting mix because um, they played man-to-man a lot. They did some zone, but they played a lot of just regular man-free coverage, uh, meaning uh, everyone's assigned to man. You had a low hole player, a player that is right in the middle of the field, probably about 10 yards. You had a free safety in the deep middle to take away the post. But then that extra guy, instead of using a fourth rusher, they dropped a third guy. So it was almost like three guys in the middle of the field. One was assigned to take care of Patrick, and the two other guys were assigned to jam the middle of the field. Very creative strategy. Now, he got away a couple times with his legs, but – I think you kind of live with that because what you don't do yeah. is you don't give up the home run plays. And for the most part, the Patriots didn't give up the big play. And I think that is the way that you have to play the Chiefs. You have to make it a red zone game and see if on that night, if you can play better red zone defense than they play red zone offense. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the only chance you got against them. It's a it's a very narrow pathway to victory when you're playing against the Kansas City Chiefs. But I thought Belichick added a little tiny wrinkle there. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on Green Bay, Atlanta. I don't think anything in that game surprised us, other than the fact that even without Devontae Adams and their weapons, Aaron Rodgers went right up and down the field. Yeah, he went right up and down the field. And I, I will say this, because I've been critical on Aaron Rodgers in the past. I will say that he has bounced back. And I think there are a couple of different things that have contributed to him bouncing back and playing at an MVP level. One, I think he recognized his flaws because he talked early in the um, season about getting back to doing some of the things that he used to do. He was looking at some old tape of himself in, pra- of himself in practice, and he noticed some things that he was doing differently with his footwork and mechanics, and he got back to doing those things. So I think that's the acknowledgement that maybe he has slipped a little bit in terms of his mechanics and his footwork and his fundamentals. The second thing, I think he's very comfortable in Matt LaFleur's offense. This year more than any other year, Aaron Rodgers has been absolutely killing it off play action. Before, play action wasn't a really big part of his game the last four or five years. There was a lot of traditional drop back, catch rock and throw passes and those things. But if you go back to the early part of his tenure under Mike McCarthy, he and Jordy Nelson and Donald Driver and all those guys, they used to connect game after game on these long play action passes out the backfield, under center, long drop backs, whatever. Matt LaFleur has implemented some of the stuff that he learned from the Rams They're using some of those things. And the third thing, I think the weapons around him are a little better than what we gave them credit for. Um, He obviously elevates them because he's a very accurate passer, and that can make a a player who's not necessarily a high-end player look good because everything is in the strike zone. But I think these guys around him are probably a little better than we anticipated, and they've played really, really well. And so when you have those three things working well, this offense playing at a high level, the Green Bay Packers certainly look like one of the top teams. I still have questions about their defense, but offensively they can get it done. And I think the difference between them and some other teams, I think they know who they are and they play to their strengths as a team. I was thinking about this. I just wrote these down. Let me know if I'm missing anybody here. But let's think of the Kyle Shanahan system, right, that we would agree if you were starting a team right now, that's yes. the system we want to operate. We're both big fans of that. Okay, so let's think about where that's been run recently or, or right now. You got Kirk Cousins, yep. right? Running it. You got Jimmy Garoppolo, yep. obviously with Kyle. You got Jared Goff with McVay. 
You've got Baker Mayfield, who's doing it in Cleveland. And you've got Tannehill, who's done it in Tennessee. Now, take nothing away from those players. Those are good players. Now we are seeing what that system looks like with, with Aaron Rodgers. With a great, with a great player. player. And, and that's, that, is, that, to me, is the, it's, it's fun. It, it is fun. And, and, DJ, we've talked about just how easy it makes it for the quarterback. It is a quarterback-friendly system. It is a, a system that creates huge windows. Because when you marry the, the run game with the passing game, I mean, it just separates the defense in a way because the linebackers come up, they're these huge voids at intermediate areas. And then with the condensed splits that you're seeing from the wide offs and stuff, it makes it easy to do these deep overs and crossing routes and really pick people apart. One guy that you feel to mention, Joe Burrow also in that system. Because oh, there Joe you go. Burrow, yeah, good call. Joe, good call. Burrow, Joe Burrow plays in that system, and Joe Burrow looks really good in that system. And so with Aaron Rodgers, you are seeing the best quarterback, maybe the best quarterback to ever play in this system outside of John Elway. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, 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 I that's mean, a that, good point. Like, like that's, that's got Bucky it. Brooks notebook written all over it. By the way. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I think that's I a mean, nice the, deep dive. Yeah, I, think I mean, it's a deep dive. It, it's, it's, it's that. And so you're seeing Aaron Rodgers just, it's easy, it's comfortable. And last week when I studied against the New Orleans Saints, man, the bootleg game. We've never really seen them use the bootleg slide passing game where they're slipping the tight end behind the line of scrimmage out to the flat on the opposite way. They're beginning to do that part of the, the offense. And so now when you have it and you got it working with a run game that is credible and legitimate, it makes the game so much easier for Aaron Rodgers. Yep. And uh, look, the Atlanta Falcons, it's just they can't get out of their own way defensively. I mean, they're just, just a wreck. And I, to me, I – I know they were able to turn it around the second half of the season last year, Buck, but this is getting away from them. And this is uh, it's kind of do or die time right now for that whole operation, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it is do or die time. And now the first shoe is dropped when it comes to coaches. And we'll talk about that. Yeah. It makes it a lot easier for people to begin considering change. Like this year, we thought because of just the, the weird circumstances, COVID, not lack of a preseason, that owners would exhibit more patience. I think that is now out the window now that the first coach has been disposed of. And so Dan Quinn has to show some significant progress just to kind of make it through the year. And I love Dan Quinn. I love what he stands for. But this team hasn't been right since they lost the Super Bowl. Like It's just fallen apart. And so maybe they can right the ship. But I just, I just don't know, man. It seems so far gone right now for the Atlanta Falcons. It's really tough to watch. Well, let's let's get to that then. We'll uh, circle back here, talk about what's going on in Dallas and uh, and what's going on with one of the top college football players. Uh, you mentioned it, the first one to go, uh, Bill O'Brien, in the press release, Texans fire general manager and head coach, same person, uh, Bill O'Brien. You just mentioned though, Buck, that uh, it's almost like when you're at a party, right? You're like, gosh, I can just wait for one person to leave so I'm not the first one out the door. As soon as that yes. one person leaves, then we're out. That, to me, maybe this is kind of the, the opening of the floodgates here with the first the first move. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I think it makes it easier for a lot of people that were hanging on to their coaches to be like, well, you know, Houston moving on, and no one saw that. They're on for, and they're holding them to the same standard. I think for other teams, it may make it easier. I think What's a little different about Houston is Bill O'Brien had all the power. He's the head coach, the yeah. general manager. He was the czar of the football operation. In these other situations where guys are on the hot seat, you have a general manager and head coach that aren't the same people. And, and so you just wonder, like, okay, if you do this, like, does that mean both guys go, the general manager and the head coach? Does the head coach just go? And he's like, whoa, why am I going? You need to come yeah. with me. Um, yeah. That makes it. It makes it complex. So it really depends on who is the, the chief decision maker when it comes to, A, 
it's time to move on. It's time to kind of give, give ourselves an opportunity to get out there early so we can begin to target and pinpoint some other candidates that would be really, really good maybe for our program. But I, I, I think we will see more because now that Bill O'Brien is the first one to go, um, I think we see more. I, I want to ask you because we've talked about this and I, I, we've had this discussion before, but the whole head coach football czar. Don't model, like it. Don't like it. Where the head coach is don't like it. for everything and he's the GM. Um, what are your thoughts? Because like I, I used to think about this the way that we always used to, we were taught government coming up, right? Yeah. We talk about the checks and balances system. Separation so, of powers. Se- separation of powers. So you always had you had Congress, you had the judicial system, then you had the presidency. And so in foot off, front offices in football, you had the general manager and the head coach. The general manager was responsible for setting the long-term vision of the program. He made decisions to make sure that the franchise was consistently able to compete at a high level. The head coach thought about the here and now. How can I take what we have right now and maximize what we have? And I'll worry about next year, next year. And there was a little bit of that. But when you have one guy who is doing it, you can get clouded or short-sighted by this is what we need right now. And the decisions that you make when it comes to draft capital and trades and picks and those things can be influenced by I need this team to be a Super Bowl team this year and I'll worry about the next stuff next year. And I think sometimes it can really undermine the process. Yeah, I I think you said it. I I think you – you know, coaches are always worried about tomorrow, like the next day's practice. In other words, let me give you a, let me give you a scenario here. You've got a, you've got a veteran player that's a little beat up. He's not going to be able to practice early in the week, but the hope is you get him back later in the week. Some of these, and people think this is, this is a joke, but like there's literally coaches that are wired this way. Hey, we need to cut this receiver on the practice squad because I can't get a proper practice in on Wednesday unless I have this, you know, defense, we need to get a defensive lineman in here. So if we can't get him, we can't practice on one. Like, coach, but the guy's going to be back on, you know, Thursday or Friday. Like, can we just get through a couple days of practice so we don't have to get rid of this practice squad receiver who we think might have a chance to be a good player for us? Like, no, I can't, I can't practice if I don't have, you know, X, Y, or Z like that. Those conversations happen. And when you have the head coach that's making those decisions, he's not looking out for the, for the greater good. He's not looking out for the future. He's not looking at anything other than how do I get through a practice tomorrow? And that to me is, it's a formula that has, has worked for Bill Belichick. And I think a lot of people have tried to emulate that. I, I think even people misread it and say, well, Pete Carroll has all the power in Seattle, but Pete Carroll hired somebody that he trusted. And he lets John Schneider run it, you know. So even though the buck ultimately stops with Pete Carroll, he has he's the top of the food chain there. He's empowered John Schneider to take care of all that stuff. And he relies on him and leans on him. Pete doesn't bully him. So, you know, that's another example of somebody who, you know, is at the top. Andy Reid is a, is another one who has always had all the power, but he's got Brett Veach there who he has tremendous trust in and has let Brett um, kind of run with it there in Kansas City. So I'm not saying that the head coach can't be in, in, ultimately in charge, but you better empower and trust and go a little bit more hands off on the personnel side uh, with, with the guy you've got running that department. Yeah, from firsthand experience um, in Seattle when I was there, Mike Holmgren was the executive vice president, head coach, general manager, everything. Everything you could put on a business card, he had all the titles. <laughs> he, he, was in charge of, he was in charge of everything. Ted Thompson was um, the personnel man. He was his right-hand man. And I will say this. When you are the head coach and you take on all those responsibilities and obligations, it takes away from what you really do really well. And I will say this, and I think Coach Holmgren would, would admit this. When he had all of the titles, he didn't do as 
great of a job as a head coach. Like he couldn't manage everything. So DJ, for example, we would be in meetings at draft time. Uh, we're doing everything going over the board. The phone rings. He has to tap out to take the phone call. He's gone for 30 to 45 minutes. He comes back, but we've moved on with yeah, the meeting. Yeah, he's missed that. Now, yeah. you would like to say like, oh, but he'll catch it up. They'll catch him up. But like, just imagine that each and every day and imagine that in the middle of the season when you're really trying to call plays and trying to get everything, when you're also the offensive coordinator, play caller, yeah. all of that other stuff. It is just a, it's a lot to really manage. And I don't know if one person can do it um, without having trusted cohorts around him. We could talk about Belichick in New England. Well, Nick Cesario is his guy. He was reared in the system. He understands it. I think there's a level of trust um, between them so they can kind of get around it and, and do it. But I think for the overwhelming majority of coaches, I do not believe they have the capacity to manage everything that comes along with being the football czar. I just think it's too much, too much responsibility to think long-term and short-term when you're building your program. All right, let me lay out the case here for this job because I, I, when you look at it, everybody knows the Texans do not have a first or second round pick. That was traded to Miami. Um, they have those in, in the Laramie Tunsil trade. So I think when you kind of look at this and say, man, you've got some age on defense, you know, J.J. Watts on the on the back end here of his career. Um, is this a good job? Is this a bad job? And I'm going to lay out for you why I think it's a good job. Let, let's start, first of all, with the fact that I don't think it's it's uh, you can dispute it. They have the best quarterback in the division with Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson is 25 years old, Buck. He's 25. Joe Burrow's 23. Like, I mean, he is a young player. Obviously, you've got him locked up now for the long term. They just got the big deal done with him. So you've got the best quarterback in the division. He just happens to be a, a young player who is still ascending, in my opinion, still going to get better. Um, so you start there. We talk about the pillar positions. Um, when you look at left tackle with Laramie Tunsil, you're set. You know, he's a top, I think everybody would agree, he's a top mm -hmm. five left tackle in the NFL. So you've got a young quarterback, 25 years old. You've got a young left tackle. Both those guys are locked up for long term. You don't have to worry about those two spots. Um, defensively, you've got some players. You know, you've got, uh, you know, Merciless is a good player. Um, you know, JJ's getting a little bit older, but you still have a couple more years there unless you want to try and rebuild it and start from scratch. You look at Zach Cunningham's a really good linebacker. They've got some pieces there. This is not a situation where you come in where you've got no quarterback and, and nothing else. I think the offensive line has talent. Um, to me, if you're looking at some of their to-do lists um, to help Deshaun Watson, to me, he's never had a great tight end. And, and tight ends, Buck, we've seen that. You can you don't need a first, second round pick to get tight ends. You can get those third, fourth, fifth round. You can go find good players uh, outside those those premium rounds. Go get it, go get them a big time tight end. Um, you know, wide receivers is you know getting a true number one that they traded in, in Hopkins. The college game is producing wide receivers at, a, at an incredible clip. We see it every year. So you're going to have a chance to fill some of those positions with with big time guys going forward in the in the immediate future. You know, another corner, another edge rusher. I mean, I just think this is a – even without those two picks, I think this is a really good job. I really do. Look, I think it's a good job because of the things that you outline. And I'm a believer that most jobs can be good jobs if you have, like, certain things in place. Uh, the toughest position to fill is the quarterback position. You have one in Deshaun Watson. That makes it easy. You talked about – like, let's go back and let's talk about our ideal formula for building a team. It is all about the pass. So you have to have a quarterback. Yep. You need to have a left tackle. You need to have pass rushers. And in a perfect world, you would like to have a shutdown corner. Like, that's the way that you would like to go. Well, the Texans can check off three other things on the list. 
because they have a quarterback in Watson. They have the left tackle in Tunsil. We can argue about J.J. Watt and Merciless, where they're at in this stage of his career. But, you know, for at least two years, you got probably you got solid play. Like, yeah, do you want to upgrade? Yes. At some point you want to upgrade, but that's enough to play with. You have to find a corner. And then the playmaker part of it, um, tied in and wide receivers. The great thing about wide receivers, it has been proven time and time again, you don't have to need you don't need to expand a first round pick to get a number one receiver. We've seen yep. Michael Thomas and AJ Brown and countless others come out of the second. Stephon Diggs and Juju Smith Schuster, on and I mean, on and on. You can find them. And so like they don't have a second round pick, I don't think, in next year's draft. But it's nope. not it's not that hard to trade and get back into the second round category. Uh, to, to get into that range. And so this is the thing. I think the most important part is, and I don't want people to make the mistake that like the head coach has to be a quarterback whisperer, but in these interviews, what happens is when the head coach comes in to interview with the owner, he has a list of guys that are coming with him, meaning, Hey, I'm going to be the head coach. Here's my offensive coordinator, my defensive coordinator. Here's my quarterback coach. They really want to know who the offensive coordinator and the quarterback coach are. And so whoever's the head coach, whoever's coming in for this gig he has to have a developer and a guru. And I think the way that it's going, I think for Deshaun Watson and where this team is, I would consider going and trying to pluck a young, bright mind mm-hmm. from the college ranks um, to have in place so I can have some of these new school ideas with some of this old school pro thinking and see if we can get it together. We saw it happen in Carolina when Joe Brady goes from LSU as kind of like a passing game coordinator to being the OC with the Panthers. I think you have to look in that ranks because the game is, is, is blending so much that I want to make sure that I get the best out of Deshaun Watson. I think the best way to get it out of him is to have some of those new school things that he did in college available. Not saying that I want to make him into the runner that he was at Clemson, but I do want some of that RPO game. I do want some of the easy concepts, maybe some of the, the basic air raid principles. I want a, a, a blend of some of these easy layup opportunities to get it. And if I can't get that, then I want the system that we talked about, the Shanahan tree. I want something yeah. that is going to make the game so easy for him that I know at the end of each game, Deshaun Watson is going to finish with a completion percentage, 65 to 67%. He's going to have about 200 to 250 yards, a couple touchdowns, and his passer rating is going to be at 100 with minimal turnovers. That's how I want Deshaun Watson to play. So last year, um, once the the hiring firing season was starting to kick up, I created kind of a dust storm on social media and people lost their minds because the Dallas Cowboys job was open. And I said, I, my sleeper candidate for the Dallas Cowboys head coaching job is Joe Brady, who mm. at the time, you know, and I didn't even think they'd won the national championship yet. They were still playing. And people were like, Cowboys are really going to hire a coordinator from college to be their head coach. This is the Dallas Cowboys. Well, I think I might have been one year off and I might have had the wrong team in Texas. But when I when I look at this, Buck, let, let's just go over the last three years of Joe Brady. and Tell me how it gets better than this. You're in New Orleans with Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. So you're 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 in that building. You're learning under that uh, offensive genius combination there between Brees and Payton. You go from there where they've had nothing but offensive success. You go from there to LSU. You have the most prolific college offense. Colin plays the most prolific college offense in history. Go undefeated, win the national championship. Quarterback wins the Heisman. Quarterback's number one overall pick. By the way, a quarterback that was viewed as a third or fourth round pick before you got there. Yeah. Now you go, okay, now you get an opportunity in the NFL. You're going to be an uh, offensive coordinator in the NFL with the Carolina Panthers team that we would all say is in major rebuild mode. 
-hmm. And all you've done is get Teddy Bridgewater playing the best football of his career, playing lights out. You're competitive each and every week. You're mm -hmm. 500 when nobody thought you'd be 500. And you really, you really can't. And no Christian McCaffrey. And you yeah. don't even have your best player. Yeah. You don't have your best player. And oh, by the way, um, now, now you've gone from proving that you can, you know, you're learning under one of the best in the NFL. You go dominate at the collegiate level, and now you go get the keys to the car in the NFL for the first time, minus your best player for a couple games here, and you're nothing but competitive and putting up good stats and proving it's a very quarterback-friendly system. Joe Brady's going to get a head coaching job this next cycle. I I'm confident he's going to get one. Oh, he's, he's going to be in the mix for sure. He definitely will when you look at all of the things that are going. And not only this, and I, th I think this is – where you have to look. I think if, I, if I'm an owner, if we talk about the quarterback position, what I want to do is not only look at the quarterbacks that are playing well, I want to look at the young quarterbacks that are playing well. So you were talking about yep. Joe Brady and what Joe Brady is doing with Teddy Bridgewater as a guy who is the first-time coordinator. But I also want to see, man, why is Justin Herbert able to have so much success right mm -hmm. away? Uh, some of that is the system. Some of that mm -hmm. is also like the people around them, Pep Hamilton and Nick Ronnie and those those guys. The yeah, guys Shane Steichen's OC there yeah. too has done a good job. Yeah, like like those guys are are, are doing well. I want to know who else is doing that stuff. I mentioned Nick Ronnie because uh, the Indianapolis Colts and Philip Rivers and the way that they're playing, um, yep. the way that they've gotten Philip to buy into a less is more principle in terms of hey, we're gonna run the ball, we're gonna throw our play action, we're gonna be efficient and effective. Frank Reich has done a good job with this team of the Colts. Like, there are a lot of candidates that I think you can do it. I think the one trick, though, when you hire a guy that is um, young and an offensive mind and those things, who you pair him with on the other side of the ball is really key. Ideally, because Wade Phillips is out there, ideally you want to take a young guy or someone who is an offensive guru and you want him to have a defensive coordinator who can be an assistant head coach defensive the adult, the adult in the room. Yeah. The adult in the room to be able to, to kind of do those things. You can bounce ideas off of him. He can help you when it comes to commanding the room and the structure and all of those things. I think that is very, very critical. But um, we're going to see it because these young quarterbacks are beginning to play so well. Um, it's going to be another name, Brian Dayball, and the job that he's done up in Buffalo. Yeah, he's done a great job. He's going to get a lot of looks. And I think of all the things, we can talk about Joe Brady, and Joe Brady's success is outstanding. But Brian Dayball, because – what we've seen over a three-year period, we have seen him take Josh Allen from a wild child prospect to a legitimate MVP candidate. And you can mm -hmm. say whatever you want to about Josh Allen. We can talk about it. Like I, I, I've gone back and forth on the, the roller coaster experience that Josh Allen is, but there's no denying that he is playing at an MVP level. And there's also no denying that Brian Dayball has taken the new pieces that they've given him over the past two years and found a way to incorporate them while building up Josh Allen's game. Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, John, John Brown, all of these guys around Josh Allen are flourishing with the quarterback also stepping up his game. Brian Dayball is going to be in the conversation as one of the head coaches. And also because the culture in Buffalo is so good, like you just can feel that tough-minded uh, persona and thing that Sean uh, McDermott and Brandon Bean have instilled, Brian Dayball gets it. And plus he has the experience from New England and Alabama. I think he'll be really prepared if he continues to stick to who he is and what he what he's been able to do. So the other name I brought up the other day, I actually got some pushback on Twitter from their fan base because they're not fans of him apparently. But I mentioned Byron Leftwich. 
And let me give you my thoughts on that. Number one, he's been around Bruce Arians for a long time, which I think is a good system that's been proven successful. He's got a chance now to have, have uh, you know, coached Tom Brady and been around Tom Brady, sees what it looks like at the ultimate level in terms of preparation and those things. Brady's playing well right now. I give uh, Leftwich some credit there. The other thing is I'm just always partial to you know, head coaches as who are who are backup quarterbacks. If you look at some of the mm-hmm. best ones we have, and some of the ones who are really good at working with quarterbacks, a lot of them are former backup quarterbacks. It is, it is what it is. And I think you know, Kavka is a name that I love. I love Mike Kavka, who's yeah. a quarterbacks coach with the Kansas City Chiefs. I think he's going to be a head coach pretty soon. But Byron Leftwich, Buck, I go back to the combine. That was actually mm-hmm. my first year. I wasn't even hired by the Ravens. I went out there and worked the combine for him. And uh, so I've, all the combines I've been to probably, what, 10? Um, his interview in the combine, when he walked in, the presence that he had, the way he handled himself in the interview was the best combine interview I've ever seen. So that's my interaction with Byron Leftwich which consists of a 15-minute interview when he was coming out of college. That's the only interaction I've ever had with him. But it stuck with me all these years later because I, this guy had a presence and a command about him, which is very important for a head coach. This guy played the most important position. He's been around the, the game. He's been in the league for a long time. Everybody that's ever been around him, you go back to college, his leadership was was lauded. I mean, just talk mm-hmm. about it. He had a long release. I mean, that's why Byron Leftwich wasn't successful in the NFL is he was too slow-footed and he had a long release. But he was always very, very smart, very sharp. So I look at guys like Doug Peterson as, as long-term backup quarterbacks that have had success. Um, you look at a lot of these guys around the league. That's you know Frank Reich's another one. You know, long-term backup. He's been a really good coach in the NFL. It's a laundry list of those guys. I think to me, Byron Leftwich. I'm bringing him in. You know, I, I want to talk to him. I want to, he's somebody I want to uh, get to know a little bit better through this coaching process. Man, I, DJ, I um, I've always been a Byron Leftwich fan. I, I admired his toughness when he was coming out of Marshall. I remember the game when they, they, they carried, carried him. him, carried him down the field. I, I think it speaks to his leadership ability, his ability to play with a broken leg and continue to kind of get things done. That, that's remarkable to me. I think his NFL career, I think you could say, was like solid. You know, he started some years in Jacksonville, was a long-term backup in Pittsburgh. When he got opportunities to go in a game, he did a good job of getting them to the winner's circle. Um, I think um, he comes with unique experiences because the Jacksonville situation leading to the Pittsburgh situation, he saw the stability of the Steelers organization having success there. Being paired with Bruce Arians, Bruce Arians giving him an opportunity to call plays um, early and then allowing him to be his offensive coordinator down in Tampa. He's been around Tom Brady. He has earned the respect of Tom Brady. If this team wins like many expected to, he is going to be there. And so he's great. And one last point, I had an opportunity to sit in and listen to Brian Leftwich do a presentation at the NFL Quarterback Summit this summer. Prepared, detailed, mm-hmm. um, the knowledge that he was able to share, understanding the management of the game and understanding the quarterback position leads me to believe that he will in time really figure out how to put together a team and a program that is successful. He absolutely should be on the short list of candidates when it comes to head coaching guys. Yeah, there you go. So we'll see what the Texans end up doing here again. Need to find a general manager and a head coach. Um, Dallas Cowboys, Buck. Um, This is a team and we talked about it a little bit the other day. But just when you go back and watch the tape, um, the defense giving up over 300 yards rushing, and there was a lot of talk about, you know, was this scheme related? Uh, Nabil, do you have any of the quotes that we that, that uh, came out after this game? Because I know we had uh, some from Jerry Jones as well as uh, uh, Coach McCarthy. What, what do you have there? So Mike McCarthy said after this loss uh, to the Browns, he said, I didn't see an effort as an issue in the game. If we had an effort issue, 
that game would have been over in the middle of the third quarter. Our guys fought all the way until the end. And then Jerry Jones uh, recently said on 105.3, the fan, uh, when talking about Jalen Smith and his, his effort, he said, I think he has been courageous. I'll use that word right there in his performance. He gives you everything that he's got. And then uh, he said also on the Cowboys and what they need to do on, on defense, Jones said they need to basically execute the scheme and the plan and trust the plan, trust the scheme, just trust the play, trust your preparation. That can be challenging if you've got a new system. Go ahead, Buck. I'll give you the floor on this one first. Okay, so I, I understand some of that, right? I understand some of what they're saying, like, hey, you, you, it's hard to play fast when you're confused and, and those things. But I think it's inexcusable to resolve the players from the lack of effort and the things that just show up on the tape in multiple games. Uh, I'm looking at the tape, and DJ, you pointed out in great, a great segment on Aftermath, like guys not running to the ball, guys laying on blocks. Um, the effort was lackluster at best. And the thing that I'm most troubled by is I'm looking at Trayvon Diggs. All right, Trayvon Diggs comes from Alabama. Trayvon Diggs knows how a, a championship standing. He knows what it looks like. And I believe that his play is already slipping because he's seeing what's allowed to happen. And I'm, I'm worried for the young players that they have in place, that they think it's okay to play like this. It's okay not to hustle to the ball. It's okay not to finish plays. It's okay not to engage and try and throw your body around and make tackles and gang tackle and do all those things. And I also understand the code because we talk about like, hey, what stays in the locker room, like what's said in the locker room stays in the locker room and that, you know, we don't air our dirty laundry out to the public. However, I also know, Mike McCarthy, when you ask a point blank question about the effort, there's a way to answer that question, being truthful, so you can acknowledge what everyone sees except for the coaches, evidently, that, look, man, we're not, we're not playing hard. And battling back from those deficits that they battle back from, like, that's great, but a lot of that has been offensive-driven. The offense hasn't been the main culprit in terms of the team's struggles. Yes, they've turned the ball over, but it's been the defense, the defense is near near the bottom of the league in every category. And, DJ, you've seen this. I mean, just think about um, when you're playing high school ball or when you're at App State and y'all are running the option down people's throat. It is yep. a different level of, of, of a tail kicking when someone runs the ball for 300 yards on you. Like, that is different than someone throwing for 500 yards. When someone lines up and they run the ball without their star running back for 300 yards – that is a problem. And when you talked about guys being turtled up, uh, plays where you've stopped the film and there are four and five guys on their back with their feet kind of kicking up, I mean, that's, that's just a problem. That's something that you can't even ex- – I couldn't even accept watching youth players play. And I think they have to address it, and nothing is going to change until they talk about that stuff in the film session. So, Buck, we're both parents. And I'm sure you use the same word that we use in our house all the time. That word is the standard, okay? We have a standard for our family and for our kids, and that is the standard. I don't care other, uh, what other parents are letting their kids do, what other kids are doing, whether it's legal, whether you're allowed to do No, no. This is, the, this is our family standard, and it is here, and we are going to be, meet that standard. And it's the same way with organizations. It's the same way with teams. It's the same way with units. And the Dallas Cowboys have no standard on defense, if that's the case, based off what we've seen. Because you, I, I, I mean, I can take other teams in the league. I mean, I can take Indianapolis, who we've talked about. 
and I can show you plays where they are they're seven eight hats to the ball on anything to the perimeter. I mean, that you end the frame, Fly, the whole, the whole defense the is ball. in the frame. The whole defense is in the picture, and then you watch the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, lollygagging, I get to quote like an old coaching uh, word yeah. phrase or whatever. They're, they're just jogging. There's no intensity. There's no urgency. There's no effort from what you see from them. And to me, it's a standard. Like you're either you're either teaching it or you're allowing it to happen. So that's why I'm not absolving the coaching staff. I think some people thought, oh, you're just putting it all on the players. No, no. From a coaching standpoint, you, you can't allow this to happen. You get pulled off the field with some of the some of the the chase efforts we saw in that game. Get out. You're out. I'll, I'll put some young kid in there. Doesn't maybe he doesn't ready to play? But at least I know he's going to run hard. He might not run in the right direction, but I need, at least I know he's going to give me effort. And then the other play, one of the other plays I showed, when you're Alden Smith and you're on the backside and the tight end is lined up inside of you, the play goes away and he goes to reach you on the other side. Okay, obviously it's a reverse. Why in the world is he trying to reach me right now? And he's got his eyes in the backfield. He can see the action coming. You're you're a outside edge rusher against a tight end. That is one of the biggest mismatches in yes. football. Get your head around the outside. You can't get reached by a tight end at that point in time. And you you ideally you want to be able to shed him and get him, you know, get him completely off. If nothing else, you're going to get your head around and you're going to force that thing back inside. He just sits there, where's where's the reach block? Doesn't even try and get through it. Reverse goes right around him and then once the ball gets by him, he jogs to try and go down the field. I'm like how is this acceptable? Like, what is the standard for the Dallas Cowboys? And if your head coach comes out afterwards and your owner comes out and says, you know what, that what we saw, yeah, that's 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 effort and that's acceptable, then I got you got no hope. Because if, if you can't see the difference between teams that are hustling to the ball and playing with uh, ferocity and intensity and an urgency, if you think that's what that looks like, you've got no shot. You have no shot. And you bring up the Indianapolis Colts. And the reason why I think the Colts are such a great example, the Colts have two blue chip players. DeForest Buckner and Darius Leonard. The rest of their guys are, I don't want to say this and be in disrespect, they got a bunch of try-hard guys. A bunch of yeah. try-hard guys that are just out there running around or whatever. Xavier Rose was a Pro Bowl player, but he hadn't been that player prior to arriving. But now you look at the Colts, the Colts line up, they run to the ball, they're physical, they tackle well. And part of the reason they tackle well is because they get so many hats on the ball. Like that is part of being a good tackling team. So you don't have a bunch of one-on-one tackles. You make people... Go one on three. Oh, I make this guy miss, but the other two guys come and pap, pap, and they knock you down. That is why you coach it. That's why you demand it. And I am worried about the standard that is being put into place because I'm looking at this, and we're four weeks in. Four weeks in, and we're saying this. I'm like, man, we have to get this rectified. We're last, we're last in so many categories on defense that it's a problem. The other thing with the Cowboys when it comes to the effort, the effort is my boggling and I get that but I'm looking at the scheme and I understand the conundrum that Mike Nolan is in when you can't cover it makes it hard to drop an extra safety in the box so he wants to play cover for a split safety defense both safeties are about at 10 or 11 yards Um, it's a pattern read defense based on what the offense does the safeties react a certain way when you play that that means you're really leaning on seven guys to stop the run well, it's hard in this league against a good offensive line that is working in sync to stop the run with seven. And what you saw repeatedly, two-on-ones, double teams, they are knocking Dontari Poe and those guys off the ball and into the laps of the linebackers. And at some point, DJ, you just want to see some fight yeah. from your guys. You want to see – you just want to see them fight. 
And that comes from the coaching staff demanding, urging, nudging, pushing, replacing, or whatever. And I had a coach say this. If you want a defense that plays hard, just play the players that play hard. And at some point, they have to examine the tape and look at the players that play hard and give them the opportunity to get onto the field. Yeah, I mean, I... I would just say this: Go, go. If you're if you're a Cowboy fan, don't take our word for it. Just go, go, go get go get go get NFL Game Pass. Do me do do three things: Go watch any Buffalo Bills game. Mm-hmm. Go watch any Indianapolis Colts game, and then go watch last week with the Cowboys against the Cleveland Browns. And you tell me. That's that's all. That's how I'll finish that. The, 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 and, and that's a great point, man. The Buffalo Bills because they play hard. Like just just do it. Like it is very similar to me to watching the NBA Finals and the NBA teams in the bubble, when you watch the Miami Heat play, when you watch the Denver Nuggets play, teams that fancy themselves as try-hard teams, you see the effort and energy that is exerted on each and every possession. And we've talked about it. You brought this up, and now it's like one of my favorite things. Thoroughbreds and donkeys. You can't have (laughs) thoroughbreds and donkeys in the same stable. Like Thoroughbreds expect the most. They have a high standard. They are go-getters. They eat the right stuff, and that's why they're thoroughbreds. Donkeys are jackasses like they just Mm -hmm. go about their stuff and right now man the cowboys look like a bunch of donkeys just based on how they play by definition you know that the the, you have to rein in thoroughbreds you have to hit a donkey on the backside to get them going let's go let's go gotta get it i'd much rather draft players where i've got to rein them in a little bit hey we probably need to dial that back a little bit you know a little over aggressive there uh, versus trying to get somebody motivated to give you some effort. And, and again, that's that's why you go out there and you you bring those guys into your building. And I think you even said something. I don't know if you've mentioned this, Buck, uh, on the show. I know we've talked about it uh, off air about defensively be a, be a little bit leery when you're we're bringing in a lot of veteran players versus trying to be younger yes. and built yeah. from within. Where, again, to me, when you build from within with your young guys, and so your older players on defense ideally – are guys that have been in your system. You're not mm-hmm. bringing in older guys. You might have some guys from within that get older, but you're constantly bringing in the young guys underneath them. But then you have your standard; it's set, and everybody understands the standard. You know, we you know call it play like a raven, or the, you know, the mm-hmm. raven way, or wherever. But when you bring in a bunch of outside veterans at that point in time in your career, just just share with the, with everybody what you were telling. Yeah. Me about so that. so so DJ, you're getting a hodgepodge of people who already have the bad habits formed. The bad habits as a veteran player are in concrete like there's mm-hmm. no changing or eradicating those behaviors when you bring in a Don Terry Poe um Gerald McCoy who's already hurt and gone you have Alden Smith um Everson Griffin who I like you you have a bunch of older players you have Daryl Worley I mean we're now bringing in a lot of these older guys and unless they have played for you in your system unless they understand clearly like when, you, when you're Mike Nolan exactly how you want it done you run the risk of it falling apart. Whereas if you have a young team that you're developing from scratch, well, you're their first exposure into how the league is supposed to operate. So when you have them doing pursuit drills or where you're demanding that they run to the ball and finish at the ball and punch at the ball at every turn, that's all they know because that's their exposure and you're holding them to that standard. And to be a coach that demands that stuff, you have to have the energy to harp on it each and every play. You have to be relentless in your demands. And sometimes when you're an older coach, you've been in the league a long time, you don't have the energy to go about it each and every play to demand exactly what you want. And so you have a bunch of different factors working against the Cowboys right now. 
I'm just waiting to see if someone steps up, player or coach, to help them get this turned around. Yep. Um, you know, like, and the last thing I'll say on this is somebody brought up, you know, scheme and effort and the difference between them. I, I, I would, I would uh, strongly um, convey the fact that if you play with fanatical effort, you can cover up some deficiencies in scheme. There is Absolutely. no scheme. There is no scheme in the history of football that can cover up a lack of effort. I don't care. You, no. you have that has to be where it starts. It has to start with the effort. It has to start with the energy. Um, it has to start. We, we've heard people talk about it. The takes no talent stuff. It takes yep. no talent to play hard. It takes no talent to be a good tackling team. It takes no talent to do the little things when it comes to being disciplined and detailed and knowing your assignment or whatever. Yep. None of that stuff takes talent. Those things are expected. Those things should be required. Like that is the standard of play. The other stuff, like, man, we may not be the most talented team, but man, if you play hard, you can erase a lot of mistakes just with your energy and effort. And so they have to talk about it. I think before they can even fix the scheme, it has to be about fixing the effort and the energy this week. Yep, we'll see what the Cowboys do, how they react to it. And maybe, maybe like you said, maybe they just want to keep things in-house. Maybe they are having those discussions. I sure hope they are um, and don't have their head in the sand and think that what they put on tape last week was acceptable. So we'll see how the Cowboys react this next week. Um, all right, uh, last thing here for today, Trey Lance and the weirdest – you know, college football, NFL draft uh, scenario I can ever recall uh, had his one game season on Saturday. Uh, I wrote about it on NFL.com. I watched the game on ESPN Plus on my computer. Um, he came out. He was rusty. He missed some throws early in the game. Uh, missed a deep ball down the field. Uh, threw his first interception that he's that he's thrown in his uh, college career. Got that one out of the way. So he had his one pick, which I loved. Everybody was overreacting to on Twitter. I'm like, look, every once every 14 games you can throw an interception. It's not a big deal. Um, but then he came back. Guy ran for I think 150 yards, um, a couple touchdowns on the ground. I think he had a couple touchdowns through the air. And the yard yardage wasn't big, but I saw. Uh, third and three or third and four late in the game they had a a four-point lead and uh he had a deep out one of his better throws just a a laser to the sideline on on the money and I came away after watching that game and I was thinking about you know as much as we've talked about Josh Allen I think he's well beyond where Josh was as a college player in terms Mm -hmm. of just how comfortable he is not his best game in, in that game against Central Arkansas when you look at the whole picture with him I see somebody that's, you know, I think he's close to 240 pounds, 6'3", 240. He is a big, strong kid. He's athletic. He's got a big arm. Um, we've talked to him. He's in, very intelligent. Uh, mm-hmm. He's got a great work, work ethic from everything I've heard from talking to everybody around him. All of the pieces are there with this kid. If, if you're going to overreact to his one-game season, um, then that's, your, that's, just, that's your fault. You're, you're not very smart if you're going to base everything off of that one game. No, no, and I think it was a tough game, and I think we talked about it when we had him on. It, how, how, it's such a unique circumstance. You have one game to show everything, and he didn't acknowledge it at the time. That's a lot of pressure when you know this is the one-game audition for you in the National yeah. Football League. No matter how many big games he has played during his time in North Dakota State, like it's still different when you have that internal pressure of, I want to prove the scouts, whatever all of the criticism may have been leading up into the game. Um, I think with Trey Lance, I I think this is really an easy evaluation for me. I think when you go and you look at Trey Lance, let's just put him up against last year's class of quarterbacks. Um, We've seen Justin Herbert was six, Tua Tungabaloa was five, and then we had Joe Burrow at number one. Well, he's certainly in that top six range. I think, Mm -hmm. I mean, you could put him right there with Justin Herbert 
right now without even without even really saying like let's do a deep dive in his game. He's a much mm-hmm. better player than Jordan Love was in college, so he's top ten worthy. Now mm-hmm. it comes down to all right. Well, let's go back and look at his tape. And let's look at what he looked like last year when he had a full spring ball, a full training camp, a regular traditional season where each and every week he was able to get better. Wow, this dude was terrific. 28 touchdowns, no interceptions. Let's look at him in the playoffs when they needed him to step his game up. He made every big play. I am good on Trey Lance. I I believe Trey Mm -hmm. Lance is going to be an excellent player. He has everything, and I think he has a game that – is one of the unique games that can play in any system. We talk about the Shanahan system. We talk about uh, the catch-and-run offenses with a lot of option football and those things. I think he is one of those unique players that you could drop him into any franchise and run the system as you have it laid out without having to make a whole lot of changes based on what he brings to the table. Yeah, you want to run some uh, QB power? Go go at it. Yeah, you know, you can do whatever you want scheme-wise. So, yeah, and to me, I think that the uh, – kind of the cherry on top was the chance we've had to, to visit with him. And you can find that. Go back and listen to the, the interview we did. Just go through Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and go find that episode with Trey Lance on it and listen to that interview and tell us what you think because uh came across a very, very smart, very mature, very tough, um, believed in himself. You had the you know Big Ten programs offering him as a linebacker and as a safety. Um, he believed he was a quarterback and, uh, and went to North Dakota State and proved it. So, yeah, I'm in on Trey Lance, and we'll see how it all shakes out. Um, you know, I, I think, look, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the first quarterback taken. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be, I think it's going to be a good discussion between Trey Lance and Justin Fields. That's going to be uh, kind of the race there for the number two quarterback in this class. Uh, I think all three of them are going to end up going in the top 10 when it's all said and done. Oh, yeah. I think all three of them are going to top 10. And I'll make a small little um, prediction. I think all of them going to top five. Like, just yeah. depending, I, I think all of these guys have the ability to, um, be day one QB1s, franchise quarterbacks. I think they all have the character and the football stuff that you look for. Um, I don't see major concerns about any of them. I, th- I think it's just a matter of going to the ice cream shop and determining what flavor ice cream you want at your quarterback position and going that road. I think those guys are definitely first-round picks, and I don't think any question that they'll be gone early. All right, what's coming up in the notebook this week, Buck? I mean, I don't know. Now that you brought up the stuff with Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur and maybe Aaron Rodgers being the best quarterback to ever – Play. I think I have to lead up with that. And the point about the Houston Texans job being a good job, you know why? I know we can talk about the lack of draft capital, but when you lay out the things as, as we laid out, quarterback, left tackle, pass rushers, we talk about those marquee positions, um, good coach can come in and, and really do some things and make that offense better. Yeah, and I think you look around that division as well. Phillip Rivers, you know, last year or two for him, you've got Ryan Tannehill who's good, not great. Gardner Minshew, the jury's still out on him. I mean, you've yeah. got a chance to have the best quarterback in that division for a long time as it looks. So um, it would be interesting to see what happens with that job. Uh, I do want to share with everybody, we've got some some kind of exciting news about what we're going to be doing on Thursday nights uh, with Thursday Night Football. on. Uh, it's going to be on Amazon Prime. It's going to be on streamed on Twitch as well. So if you just want to basically hang out with me and Bucky as we watch the Thursday Night Game, along with Joy Taylor from Fox is going to join us, um, that's going to be fun as we get to kind of sit together and, and hang out and watch a, watch a football game together. So we'll get you some more information on that. We'll, we'll tweet that stuff out on uh, at Bucky Brooks or at Move the Six. You can check that out. And uh, we've got uh, tons of video content, nfl.com slash pod, or sorry, youtube.com slash what is it? YouTube.com slash NFL podcast. I always yeah, get that wrong. Go. And then uh, we've got NFL.com slash MTS video. Um, so we, we're, we're everywhere. You can find all that stuff. But uh, it looks like I'm just getting a text here that Mike Clevenger might start game one buck. So I'm feeling better about that. 
uh, with Pods and the Dodgers so, here. So you, you feel good about putting the injury guy out there? You want to put him on the mound? You can, you, like when the hey. intensity is heightened, you can put him right out there. Just see, huh? See just give just, me, just give me five innings, man. I don't need you to rubber arm that thing into seven innings seven and eight. Our bullpen's good. Let's just get me five and we're good. But see, this Didn't doesn't need... even feel this doesn't even feel like does it feel like base playoff baseball to you? Like it, it doesn't even feel I don't like know what playoff baseball. baseball feels like. I'm a Padre I know, fan but DJ, for I, just, I just I just feel like I feel like you're getting a cheated experience because like one, my estimation, playoff baseball should be played at night. It is a yeah. packed house. You can feel the intensity and energy. Like on every pitch, like to me, this is when baseball season starts. And so, yeah. I don't know. I feel like you're being shortchanged. Any Ho- any kind of variety, any kind of a playoff baseball option right now is a good one for a Padre fan. We'll take it however we can get it. Um, oh, hopefully, hopefully, next year there's fans in the stands and they can. They, you know, this the good thing is we have a young team. The Dodgers have a, a you know obviously the best team in baseball and they're young. So I think oh, this is the first you. of many. This is the first of many postseason meetings between I like our it. two teams. I like, I like what you're doing. I like how you landed out there. Like oh, it's us against the world. We don't have a chance. It's like we got nothing. To, hey, we got nothing to lose. Like we got nothing to lose. Everything. House yeah, money. You no, know, if 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 we're able to do this, my wow, look how far. Just, 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 yeah. just, just know this, Buck. I've set the stage where the Padres get swept. We're a young team. We're going to be back next year. We're not going oh, anywhere. Yeah. Playing with house money. Yeah. But, but I'm telling you, we've had a good relationship for a long time. <laughs> if, if the Padre, if the Padres somehow win this series, oh, I'm going to be. Yeah. I will be unlikable. I will not be I mean, somebody that you want to be around. I'm going to tell I mean, you, it could, it you're, could you're, impact our you're, friendship. You're, you're you're already unbearable on Twitter. Like I, I see, no, no. Like you, you live uh-huh. and die. You live and die with every pitch. Like I find it, I find it funny. Like I find so it funny to watch. As a, as, as, like, as a Padre fan, as a Padre fan, I can tell you this: I'm not a sore loser because uh, that's what I'm used to. I'm not a good winner. I'm I'm a I'm a sore winner. Like I can I I kind of cross over into that annoying, uh, obnoxious. You know, I'm the guy whose team hasn't done anything in 15 years, and then oh. now I come back and, uh, uh, you know, we win one series and I'm going to lose my mind. So you know that's coming. Uh, that's funny. Oh, um, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but the Tar Heels are ranked in the top 10 in football. I don't I don't, I don't know if in you the know, top I don't know 10. You haven't, been, I, you haven't been paying attention, but we're, wow. we're eight nine. We're eight nine. And the thing I told you, this is the year. Wow, this is the year we bring home the crystal ball. When do we play? When do we play again? We, uh, nah, next year, not, maybe the year nah, after. No, 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 no. We'll be. Nice right, we got low. our win. I'm. We're, I'm gonna live off last year for a while. We'll be nice and loaded by the time we play y'all again. Yeah. When do you guys play? When do you guys play a good team? Uh, we played Virginia Tech this week. We've always had a problem with them. Um, so Who's be, their best player ain't playing. He he popped I mean, it out. I don't know. Go ahead. They all, they all are good players. Maybe Mike Vick runs out. I, I never know. I just hope that we're able to take care of business. But if we take care of business, we have Notre Dame on the schedule later, and then Clemson okay. would be in the championship game. So you play two good teams. You got two teams. You got two teams nah, scheduled I this year. We play, huh? we play, we play who have you beat thus far? Like, who have you played? Nah, I don't know. Whoever's run out there. We play Boston College and we play Syracuse. It's all. It's all. Hey, we can. All, all you got to do. Wait, hold up. All you, I guess when all these when you don't have the Big Ten or the Pac twelve, all you got to do to get in the top ten is beat BC and Syracuse. That's what you got to do to get in the top ten these days. I mean, Jeez. I mean, they already respect us. So they like, yeah. Let's see who else we have. Okay, so Virginia Tech. We have mighty Florida State. Oh my gosh, this is just on, one bad Florida team State. after another. Come on, Florida State used to be a must. Florida State almost visit. lost to Jacksonville State, dude. Uh, NC State. Virginia, we have Duke, which is always a bit of robbery. Um, Wake Forest, man, it's a good schedule. This is a good schedule. Golly, the ACC is not Notre, good. Notre Dame, Miami, and then we just picked up Western Carolina, the Catamounts. 
Never sleep on the catamounts. I, I, uh, I think I think I've <laughs> we had beaten Western Carolina like twenty years in a row, playing on the road. They had Brad Hoover. Remember Brad Hoover played for yeah, the, who? the Panthers. Yeah, who was our fullback? Yes. Buck, I might have had – I don't even want to look it up. I think I might have turned the ball over like five times in that oh, game. We had yeah. beat him like 20 times in a row. I fumbled two or you, three you times. You didn't respect the catamounts? I thought we were going to roll right through them. There's like oh. there's a, like like temporary stands. There's a couple hundred people at the game. I'm like, this this team stinks. We beat him 100 times in a row. Brad Hoover had like 49 carries in the game. And uh, <laughs> I, I was terrible. We had a ton of turnovers and we lost. So, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the catamounts. Yeah, so if we continue to move move along the way, I may become a little more obnoxious. I may, I may. Okay, you have that right. Like I've that. opened that door. I've opened the door for being obnoxious about your team. So it's all yours, yeah, man. It's all it's all good. Inspired by ongoing conversations with players, the NFL launched NFL Votes to empower and improve our communities by exercising the right to vote. Uh, join the NFL family by registering to vote today and make your voice heard this November. Visit NFL.com/votes to learn more. So now nah, this was fun. So we get back at it on Thursday. Yeah, we'll be back on Thursday. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, thanks, Nabil, for all your hard work. And uh, yes, Mark Brady, I do only talk about the Padres when I go on Rich Eisen. Show. <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.